Hey, everybody. We had a few problems with some technical issues at the beginning of this podcast with some echo, so you may notice some weird-sounding things during it. It gets better later on, so just stick with it, and I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, welcome to the fourth episode of the new MLS Fantasy Podcast, the Fantasy Roundtable Edition. So very excited to have all sorts of great people joining us today. Some quick things to remember. We are now on iTunes, and I think we're working on Stitcher. But we are on iTunes, so be sure to go there and follow us and give us some good reviews, because that's just going to help with people seeing it in the future. Uh, and so now we've got four great people joining us today. So I'm just going to let you guys introduce yourselves. Hey, this is Scott uh, at Fire Fambulance. I am back for my second episode. Um, that's about all I got. I'm Richard, calling on as Fripp, Fantasies on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I'm a newbie here, so I'm ready. Hey guys, uh, Paul here. Uh, you guys probably know me as Eternal in some of the forums and MLS Fantasy Boss. Uh, getting excited for my third season, uh, playing Fantasy MLS, and looking forward to be a part of this podcast. Hi, I'm Jason Woodward. I uh, run MLSFantasyViz.com, which is a site where I post graphs of MLS Fantasy stats. And, of course, as always, we have our tech guru, Simon. Yes, overly kind to call me a tech guru, but I somehow managed to record it, so that's something. And I am Reed, also Dashdar, at MLS Fantasy Boss and the Reddit Forum. And uh, I know you guys are here for picks. One thing, Travis, from the last podcast we talked about price changes, has posted a great article at MLSsoccer.com in the Fantasy Advice section that just goes through and breaks down last year's numbers with this year's price changes to give you some percentages of how people would have changed with if that system was in place. Did you guys get a chance to see that? I did, and I, uh, I loved uh, the article. It was good insight. Um, I'm pretty excited about the price changes this year. It's going to be much more transparent than last year. The big takeaway I got is an over oversimplification where if a player gets eight or more points, you can pretty much expect them to rise. And if they get one or fewer points and play 45 minutes, they're going to fall. And uh, two and seven are kind of week-to-week basis. And then three, and six, three, four, five, and six, they will be uh, not changing at all. So that's the takeaway I took from it. And I appreciate Travis putting that together. Yeah, I thought it was really good. The only thing I would add is um, when I first saw the changes, I kind of freaked out and thought, oh, you know, prices are going to skyrocket and it's going to be horrible. But if you look at last year's price changes, you know, the average player dropped by 0.2 million, where if the rules for 2015 were applied to last year's data, the average player really wouldn't change. So it's going to shift forward. Um, but, you know, we won't be losing as much money on our teams. The average player is not going to lose value like they did last year. Um, without the you know the really good players playing the market, they're not going to have that advantage. So I think it's actually going to work out pretty good. And Jason has also made some great charts to give you a bit of a graphical illustration of what Travis had wrote up. If you go back to the posting of this podcast at MLSFantasyBoss.com, I will have both of those links available right there. So without any further ado... What you guys came for is to hear us talk about player picks for this season, and so that's what we're going to do. If you heard any of the plugs for this podcast, we're also talking about doing a one-on-one -on -one questions and answers session. That will be a supplementary podcast that we're going to have after this comes out, so stay tuned. If you're new, you're going to love it. If you're old, you might still love it, but either way, you guys are all going to love the picks, and we're going to get right into that next. So we're going to kick it off with keepers. So Scott... What do you like uh, about keepers? Yeah, I don't know how I got stuck with the keepers. I uh, Let me see. What I like about keepers is that you can normally pick one, and you don't have to change very often. That's what I like about keepers. Um, other than that, I, I guess for me, it's just pick a strong defense, look at schedules, make sure you're covered. Um, I traditionally will flip between having one keeper and keeping a two-keeper rotation going, depending on what the schedule looks like for the next five or seven weeks. So right now, I personally think I'm going to end up going with Alstead. Um, that that Vancouver schedule bothers me a little bit, all the travel, but I just haven't made a switch yet. So right now I'm looking at Alstead. You guys all agree? Is Alstead the the keeper to have for the beginning uh, of this year? Never gone with two keepers before, or without two keepers before. Um, but I think Alstead right now, the Vancouver's opening schedule, their defense, 
I think he's the best choice. Um, good on your budget too. So, I mean, I got to admit, I was tempted by uh, going with the 11 million combo with the Kansas City and uh, Columbus, but in the end, went with Alstead. Yeah, and I feel like Columbus is a really stacked team this year, and so um, it also all the the week two and three congestion um, eliminated uh, a, a bunch of keepers really. Although not necessarily Alsted, I guess, which seems to be the favorite. But I decided to go with Clark. I have a feeling that uh, they're going to have a you know a couple good weeks. Just have to have alternatives for those buys in three and five. That's that's the only reason I really see Columbus having some questionable uh, picks at the beginning, and just just because of those bye weeks. But I I had Clark and Hamid for a while. I had Hamid and Shuttleworth for a while as potential rotations. Of course, now though the shoulder injury for Hamid, so that kind of takes him off the off the list. I was going to say a couple of battles uh, for starting keeper that we should keep an eye on here in the last preseason game is Dallas and Houston. It uh, looks like Kennedy has the, the lead in the battle for Dallas's starting job, but they got two home games to start, and he's at a 5.0 price point versus most of the others that are at 5.5. Uh, same thing going on in Houston with Derek trying to beat out uh, Joe Willis. They, again, start with two home games and 5.0 price points. So uh, if we're confident that they're going to be the starters, Derek and Kennedy, uh, they're definitely worth a look at the five mil range. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if we want to maximize those home games, L.A.'s got three in a row, so Pinedo could be a guy to think about. I think it's a little difficult, Chicago, Portland, Houston, so could be some tough times for them. But they had good defensive numbers last year, so it's always an option if you want to try to maximize that. Yeah, I'll throw one other pick in there. I think that uh, SJ, Sean Johnson, could be uh, pretty decent this year. Chicago Fire defense has been pretty stout in the preseason. I mean, they've given up one goal in four games, two games in Europe, three games here. Yeah, that's actually some more keeper options than I thought we might have. Uh, definitely with the price ranges, rotating might not be the best idea if you're trying to really bulk up your midfield. But, uh, yeah, those are some, some great options. Moving on. Defenders, and I think this might be where it gets really interesting. Uh, Jason, who who do you like down there in defense? So when I'm looking at defenders, I like to look at clearance, blocks, and interceptions. I feel like the top, you know, defenders of last year, you know, really killed it there, and also clean sheets. Um, so you kind of have to look at the whole defensive line. Um, you know, one bad one bad defender can ruin it for everybody. But um, for me, this is one of the few places in my roster where I'm looking at a player who uh, who wasn't in the league last year. I'm looking at Raul Rodriguez. On Houston, if you look at his past um, stats, although he didn't play a lot last year at uh, Espanol, I guess he had an out an, an issue with the new manager or whatever. But you know he had good good passing stats and good good CBI, so I have a feeling he's gonna gonna be solid. Um, and he also helps out with the uh, round two and three congestion. So I'm gonna play him through that and then see what happens after there. And then also Omar Gonzalez, same thing with him. He is number six defender last year with you know a good 700 to 1200 minutes less than the rest in the top 10 so um, again he you know huge CBI I think he's gonna do it again so those are my two big picks what about you Paul you've been consistently high in the fantasy rankings who do you like a defense yeah I kinda have a different approach on it I think my my rules for defense are don't spend money there and only have three starting positions there um, if you look at last year, going into last year, the people who you think would have the best uh, CBIs and, and points in general for the year, you, you'd think of names like uh, Chad Marshall, Hedges, Colleen, and Gonsalves. Well, they all finished with less than five points per 90. Uh, the guys that did finish good were Drew Moore and Andy O'Brien. So for me, it's kind of a crapshoot, so to speak, and I don't want to be spending my resources there when I can be spending them uh, in my front seven where I, I know I can get consistent points. So with that said, some of the budget guys I'm looking at are uh, Palmer for Chicago. He's got a brutal opening game week <laughs> against L.A. Uh, but after that, the, the schedule actually lightens up, and Chicago's uh, done pretty been pretty defensively stout in preseason thus far. So yeah, at the 6 mil price point, he's there. There's a bunch of guys at the 6.5 million price point for the center backs. Uh, White and Jermaine Taylor might win the job for Houston. Uh, Ka might win the job in Vancouver. So those are guys to keep an eye on. Uh, and then Ramos for Orlando has a really good opening schedule. Uh, three of the first five at home, and he's been getting forward in the attack, and he's 5.5 mil. 
Uh, so those are some of the guys I'm looking at. And that's a really good point that you bring up. Uh, I've seen this discussion on the comments at MLS Soccer and in the Reddit forums. What do you guys think about going with four options with a sub or just going to go three, going to go big names, make it cheap and spread your money? What's your strategy for that? Uh, I'm personally going cheap right, as of now. I've got Ramos, got Zimmerman, Ethan White. Um, the problem with the subs is one of the good cheap guys, uh, Burling from Colorado, he's got to buy in week two. So if you don't want to play in week one, that's it kind of puts you in a weird situation there. So the I'm, I'm kind of torn. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. I'm torn. Oh no, I'm torn on uh, whether or not to go with a sub or not. So still thinking about it. What do you guys think? I was in line with Paul from what he said about going cheap on defenders. But then with the price change, I kind of rethought that a little bit because the big price defenders are the ones that really rise. You know, the ones like an Omar Gonzalez who's going to get forward and score a goal and really grab that point too. Um, you know, guys like that are going to rise, and I think that they're going to be possibly out of range. And until I know which teams are going to have the best defenses and are going to get me shutouts, it's really hard to go with cheap. So right now I'm playing with it and trying to pick up a couple more high-priced guys and a couple cheap guys. So Ramos and Zimmerman were both mentioned. I think they'll both end up on my team. Um, but but I'm kind of playing with that that traditional thinking. Yeah, I think it's okay to spend a little bit more if you want to get your, your rocks in the back, so to speak. But I, I still think you would only want to have three there. I played around with having some substitutes in defense, uh, but it freaked me out, honestly, because if I have a defender and I'm not comfortable playing him, it's probably because he has a horrible matchup. And all it takes is for a defender to get a yellow card and give up two goals, and, and you're looking at a price drop, so to speak. Uh, where that's not the case with midfielders and forwards. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I agree with a lot. I uh, I think three is the good number to have at back for the start. I do think you should splurge for, for one player. I think Watson is uh, a fantastic guy that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, there's also Ridgewell from Portland and Omar Gonzalez, we already mentioned. Those three guys had outstanding numbers last year when it came to CBIs. Not all of them were here for the entire season, so perhaps that will factor into people's opinions. But I think those are three guys that you need to have at least one of them in your back line and then just fill it out with those cheap guys. Otherwise, those names you guys are throwing around, all, all things that I like. But I'm going to throw out Obara as well, Ike, there at Sporting Kansas City. He, last time I checked, under 3% ownership. Ooh, yeah. I might get in trouble for mentioning this name because... I think he's sort of a stealth pick right now, but he killed it in 2013 when he came on. What, the last half of the season? Is that what it was? And I, I think he could be a really good producer for people. Yeah, I like Ike. <laughs> I like Ike. So one player in mind, he was killing it with Colin next to him, so that's a little bit of a difference there. True. Beasler's no slouch either, though. Also true. Um, one other name, Portland, uh, Jack Jewsbury. He's filling in for Ben Zemanski. Uh, Portland's been decimated in their CDM position. Uh, it looks like Jewsbury's going to be the one to step in. And I normally shy away from set, uh, defensive midfielders, but he's listed as a defender. He's 6.0. Uh, Portland starts with two home games. And after Fernandez was subbed off uh, in the last preseason game, he actually found himself on set pieces and wearing the armband, too. Uh, so who knows how long he'll be filling in until Will Johnson comes back. Uh, I think his timeline's about a month. Uh, but he could be a sneaky person to, to put in your back line at 6 mil uh, to start the season off, at least. Uh, I'd be very interested to see how Portland's final preseason uh, game goes today. If he's in the starting lineup, then he'll most likely be starting on opening day. So one other player I was kind of curious about if you guys had any opinions on was uh, Breck Shea as a defender. He's in there at $8 million, which seems kind of high, mm. but I, don't know, I just wondered if anyone had any read on how they think he's going to do. Well, he scored in his last preseason game. Uh, he and Ramos both fly up the wings, and Shea is going to give you a little bit more offensive oomph. But for two and a half million more than Ramos, it's it's really hard for me to justify. Yeah, that's a lot of money to spend on a on a defensive back. Um, I ju I just can't see it. I hope he does well, but 
it's just too much. It's too much of a gamble on an expansion team with a player playing not his traditional position, and it's a lot. And like you said, I mean, that's that is two and a half million dollars you can spend somewhere else. Indeed, yeah, I agree. It's just it seems like for me, center backs are the way to go. They get those CBIs. They get goals off of headers. And I think Gonzalez was the only guy in the top ten who didn't get there, who got there because of scoring and not because of his his field numbers. And of course, he missed a third of the season due to the World Cup. So I think that's the way to go. Wingers, fullbacks are risky, but if you want to take a risk, I guess Shea could be one to one to roll the dice on. Anybody else? No? All right. Well, then we will move right along to midfielders. And I know for me, this is where I wanted to spend the most money, and there are a lot of options. I've had a hard time narrowing it down. So, Richard, who do you like at midfield? Um, let's just start from the top of the price range here. Go with 11 million guys. We've got Wen, Kaká, Dempsey, Jovinko, and Vancouver's Morales. So... Um, personally, I'm staying away from all Toronto guys. So, just because they they have what's it, ten home or ten away games till mid of June or something. So they have a terrible schedule. Um, personally, I'm a fan of uh, Vancouver's Morales. I think he really pulls strings well. He got that new striker, got Rivero. If he hits, um, that's a clear upgrade to Maddox and uh, uh, Manny. So he'll have more weapons to play with. Um, I'm personally, I'm a fan of Kaká. I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, I think he's still got it. And watching the preseason games, he runs everything Orlando City does. I mean, he's on set pieces. He, he's on, he's there on the counters. He takes, he pulls the strings for everything pretty much. A little more active than Morales. So, I'm personally going with uh, Morales and Kaká for now in the top price range. I'm sure one of you guys, uh, any, any of you going with Dempsey or when? Anybody or I'd I'd consider Dempsey. I, I I've been going back and forth with with Oba and Dempsey or both or just one, but I kind of am intrigued by the Seattle opening schedule. They're playing San Jose in, in round two, which I like. Just I feel bad for San Jose, but I like that the opener <laughs> against New England could be hard. But there's that buy as well. Um, but it's not horrible. Yeah, yeah, I would just yeah, say. That's rough. For win, like I would avoid him for a couple of weeks. You know, just coming back from surgery, I don't think he's going to be playing in the first couple of games. So, um, and that brings up the whole problem with the Revs midfield in general, which I love the Revs midfield. Obviously, as a New England fan, you know, I think they're young, fast, um, great. But you know, it's really hard to say who's going to get regular time, except for Win and Jones. You know, they're going to play all the time, but both of them are, you know, coming off surgery. So, which is another reason to like. Dempsey and, and Nagel, right? If they're opening up the season against New England, who has a lot of uh, uncertainties going into the your first few weeks, at least. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of have a feeling though. Like right now, Fagundes is trying to get back into the you know the starting lineup. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna rock it out the first couple of weeks to try to prove himself. But maybe I'm wrong. I'm hoping. It could be wishful thinking, I guess. I'm a bit of a homer when it comes to fantasy stats. Yeah, I've got Nagel currently. In the 8.5 million range, I mean, there's also Maidana from Philadelphia. I think he's going to have a great year with his new forward, whose name I cannot pronounce at all. But um, otherwise, there's I think you want to spend a lot, um, a lot of your money in midfield here. There's some good picks this year, even though some of them do seem overpriced. I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah, in the midfield, the midfield really has a lot of chance for bonus points. Like the bonus stats is where they you know, can really rack it up, along with goals and assists. I mean, they kind of do everything. So, you know, players that are on the edge, like Salinas, you know, he was really great at the beginning of last year and then kind of tailed off, but he was always just one or two bonus points away from, or one or two, you know, key passes or whatever from an extra bonus point. So I think there's a lot of players like that to watch that could be good budget players. Yeah, one of the best values in the game for me is uh, Ishizaki with L.A., now that Landon's out of the equation, he's going to be the one taking a lot of corner kicks and serving the ball in. Uh, a lot of creation will go through him, and he's only at $8 million. That's a good 0.5 or $1 million less than some of the other creators. Uh, he's going to be a key piece in, in that L.A. offense, uh, so he's definitely in my lineup to start the season. 
So there's two guys that we have not mentioned yet that I'm sure some newer people who might be familiar with the national team and some some old pros might be wondering just for more input for. But Zussi and Davis haven't mm-hmm. mentioned those guys yet. What do you all think? I think Davis is a great guy if you have the cash for it. Yeah, 0.5 more than Diaz. He's got a great schedule. And, I mean, in the ever-changing world of MLS, I mean, he's been very consistent in a good way. Yeah, I think one thing about Davis is that he always finishes in that plus 0.1 range, you know? Was it like the 5 to 8 range points? So, yeah. I mean, I think, I think he's a guy you can just expect to raise 0.1 every single week. I mean, he just he always he's like a rock. Never scores 12, but always manages to score at least 5. I definitely like Zussi, but I went with Fellhaber on my midfield for to start out. You know, he's one and a half million cheaper and got basically the same points as Zussi last year. I don't know if he'll, you know, perform consistently, but there's there's a lot of midfielders in that range. It's just a I think midfield's the most exciting area right now with all the new players. I mean, think about like Piatti up in Montreal getting to play a full season and um, some of the other guys that are in there. Obviously, the Moraleses are always fun to watch. Um, but you fall back into that nine range. You also got Sean Maloney from Chicago, uh, Mix coming in for New York, uh, Bonyak Garcia. He had a little bit of an off season last year, but he's typically strong, and his price has kind of come back down to earth. Um, look at Sam up at New York. There's a at the Red Bulls, I should say. Um, there's a there's a lot of people right there in that range that are really exciting. How about Mauro Diaz? Yeah, he was mentioned. I thought. Oh my bad. If if so, not, then yes. Well, let's let's chime in. Diaz or Castillo? That's that's one I hear all the time. What do you all? Who do you all like? Diaz. Diaz. Just, yeah, I always go with the. He's in the center. He's the central guy. I mean, plays in the hole, I suppose. And then, I mean, Castillo's been good, but his numbers weren't like mind blowing last year. Yeah, beginning of the year, Diaz did kind of blow things away. Yeah, but I guess you want to see him do that again before you kind of trust him, I think. True, and he did get injured. I was I was a big Castillo fan from the beginning of preseason last year, but I think a lot of the carryover to the regular season was the injury that Diaz had that really it just fell into him. So I'm, I'm becoming more of a Diaz guy myself. But we started getting down there lower in price ranges. Some people may still want some budgets. So who do you guys have some of those little stealth... People, I'm going to throw one out. Velasquez, what do you guys think? Sebastian, he's 6.5. Been playing some some cam during preseason. What do you think? Who else do you like? Well, Velasquez is a, an all right pick. Uh, for I mean, at 6.5 million, <laughs> it's tough to beat. Uh, when he's playing, I think he's going to be great value. Uh, from what I understand, New York City's um, tinkering with a few different formations. Uh, when they're running the diamond, Velasquez should be up there. But when they switch to a more conventional 4-4-2, uh, my understanding is that he might not uh, even be in the lineup. So it might be real hit or miss with Velasquez. But when you're serving balls up to Villa, then <laughs> you, you definitely should be in consideration. One of the last spots I filled was my last midfielder spot. I had $6.5 million left, and I ended up going with uh, De Leon. Um, DC doesn't have the best schedule with the buy game coming up, but I could I could fit him in still. So I uh, I feel like for under seven, that's a good way to go. And what about Hollingshead? He's gotten a lot of time during preseason. How about uh, Dallas? I had him. Five point five. Yeah, he's if he is he gonna keep the spot though, that's the question. I think if he doesn't get the spot and come opening deal, you're stuck with a five point five million guy you can't really sub out like any straight swaps. So I personally avoid the cheap mid. I've got my cheapest one's 8.5 right now, so Whew. just to take some risk out of it, I suppose. It's easier to swap them out. You know. Is that for all six, or is that just for your starters? Oh, no, no. I've got oh, just uh, four, five starters. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But, I mean, yeah, it's it, yeah, if Hogshead keeps up his form from preseason, I mean, that's beyond great value at 5.5. Like, scored a couple of goals. Consistent starter, great offense, great schedule. But if he doesn't start, like I said, that's really comes back and bites you then. I think everyone under the 8 mil price point in midfield has question marks attached to them. And at yeah. this point, uh, I don't know, talking from experience, one of the worst feelings is to have someone that you think's a, 
uh, a good value, you know, in the six or seven million dollar range. And then you look at opening day lineups, and they're not in the lineup. And then you're stuck with a player on your bench, and you have to figure out if you want to keep them or move them out. And you're you're kind of behind the the eight ball, you know, after week one. So for me, I, I like to get my studs in there, people who I know are going to play 70, 80 minutes, people who I know that are their offense is going to run through them. Uh, they're going to be on set pieces. And uh, like I say, you can't win fantasy MLS in the first week, but you can sure handicap yourself if you, you try and get too cute in the early going. So for me, midfielder is not the place to get too cute. Yeah, there is not too many that I see that it's cheap in the midfield. I mean, you should probably have four guys that are over $8 million, I would say. Um, if you got to look at somebody, for me, I guess um, Osorio is in Toronto. Is somebody who should get time uh, at $7 million, not sure. Uh, Patty Nyarko from Chicago, $6.5 if he cements a spot in the top lineup. Uh, Harry Ship, I think, what's he running this year, 7.5? Seven five. Yeah, he's not, you know, not not the cheapest. I guess I wouldn't call him, you know, super cheap, but he's he should be getting his time. Uh, who Dylan Serna has shown well in the past, uh, but uh, you know, just like was just mentioned, there there are question marks. I think is it Poku in New York City FC? That's been I've been hearing good things about him too, but it's just they're all just guys you don't know about, and I mean, you got to spend money in midfield. You got to have guaranteed starters and guaranteed playmakers. The only other one I'll throw in there in the 7-5 range is Steinderson over at Columbus. He has some good numbers before he came over here. He's got a goal during preseason. I think he's still fighting with Merrim for the starting spot there, but Merrim will miss the first game for a red card if memory serves. So I, he could be one that comes in, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's un, under that 8 range. You start wondering about consistency of play time, not quality time. Yeah, I mean, speaking of red cards, um, Espindola is still suspended for the first was it, four or six games. So that yeah. opens up the forward slot for either uh, Pontius or um, who is it? Rolf? So one of those Arietta, two. maybe? Yeah, Arietta. So that's worth keeping an eye on, I think. And Pontius has been playing it in that position during preseason. I think he's seven. De Leon, 6'5. Pontius is seven. So those are two good spots yep. that could work out for people. A lot of options, a lot of, of decisions for managers to make. So I think, you know, just for fun, I'll go down the line. We'll do, uh, we'll do Jason, Paul, Richard, Scott, Simon. Uh, top guys, the, the premium, the cream of the crop. Pick your favorite one. One player. Who is it? Pedro Morales. Kaká. Um, Kaká as well. I go Kaká. I'm a fan. I got to go with PM too. Pedro Morales. Wow. And I am also Morales as well. Pedro. Pedro Morales. But you know, you guys, I'm going to relook at Kaka again. Kaka again. <laughs> I'm awful. Let's, let's edit that one out. <laughs> I think that stays in there. <laughs> it's the blooper reel. Uh, I'm also Pedro Morales, but after listening to you guys, I will give another hard look at Kaka and, uh, and think about trying to get him worked into my lineup. Why not both? Why not both? Why not both indeed? Yeah. Both will be in my lineup. Great. So we already started talking about it some before with DC, but forwards. So if you're going to splurge in midfield, what does that leave you from forward that you've been saving since your defensive picks? So, Paul, what is it? Forwards. Yeah, I'm, I'm splurging at forward, too. <laughs> <laughs> my defense might be in shambles, but I'm going to put up some points. <laughs> um, no, I, I like Robbie Keane. I think uh, at least for the first three weeks, uh, he goes. He's likely to be called up for international duty in week four. But two home games in the first three weeks, he's everything's gonna go through him. I, you know, I'm hoping for uh, some Ishizaki to Keane connections. Uh, and you know, he's he had one of the highest points per ninety in the game last year, and I expect him to continue with that this year. Another name I'm looking at is Higuain. Higuain had a somewhat of a downer year last year, but now with Kamara up front and uh, more time with Miram and whoever I'll edit this out. But now with more time with Kaká or <laughs> edit that out too. But now with more time with Kamara up front, uh, I think he'll be in a position to re reignite some of the magic he had in 2013 
Uh, he's healthier too. Uh, he had a really good off season, and I expect him to be one of the top producing forwards this year. If you have a little bit less money, there's two names I'm looking at. One is Fernando Aristeguieta. He's the new striker that um, Philadelphia has. Uh, they got him from League One. He's in form. He's uh, scored goals in Philadelphia's last two preseason games. And I was expecting him to be added to the game at 8.5 or 9 million. However, he is added at 7.5. Uh, he provides tremendous value, I think. He's nailed on as the front target man up there with Maidana and Latou and Wenger all feeding him. I, I think he could have a big year. Um, also, Rivero in Vancouver is yeah. a that a lot of people have been uh, getting excited about. He's shown flashes of brilliance. Uh, it could be Camilo all over again <laughs> um, as far as production. Uh, it's with Pedro Morales serving balls to him, he's, he seems to be a clinical finisher, unlike Maddox and some of the, the guys Vancouver had last year. Yeah, I would second Rivero. I mean, you know, if he's got quality and then he's got quality behind him making it work, you know, it's a recipe for success. And I also have Kamara on my on my uh, field right now. I think I think Columbus is going to do great. I think they're one of the better looking teams right now. So, and I spent all my money elsewhere. So that's what I got because Kamara's <laughs> at eight and Rivero's eight point five. So, Are you guys doubled up with Rivero and Morales, two Vancouver guys. Yep. No, I am quadded up with Vancouver guys. Oh boy. Yeah, me too. I've got uh, four Vancouver and it's scaring the hell out of me. Um, also have Keen up, but I'm not. I'm just not ready to to lock that in yet. I just Keen seems to start slow to me, so he's he's been up and back and forth on him and Zardis, kind of switching those two out. But I also have Via in there too, so I have a I have a pricey front line right now. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Keen and Zardis, and I see this conversation a lot as well. What's the Landon Donovan effect for you all? Do you think? Keen and Zardes make that connection to pick up where they leave off. Is, like we mentioned before, Ishizaki going to step right in there to provide service? How much does that hurt LA with that scoring connection? Yeah, I think Keen and Zardes were connecting well without Landon. I think they've, you know, I think I think that I've seen good things from them, and I think maybe Zardes moves up a little bit more, maybe, you know, where he was playing out a little wider last season. Maybe he moves in more towards the center. I think I think it's going to be good for him. I really I really think he's going to have a strong season. Yeah, I agree. There was a great article on uh, one of the LA Galaxy SB Nation blogs. Pretty much broke down all of uh, the Galaxy's goals. And there's a clear trend uh, between I think the guy called it a tiki taco, where they play through the middle with combination play, and Donovan was involved in the majority of those goals. And then there's a clear difference between the other goals they scored, which were coming through the through the outsides, crossing the ball in. That's where Keane had, I think, like 95% involvement, like goal or assist. And I think they're going to keep doing that. Ishizaki, uh, providing service with Zardis as well. So I think Keane has got that aspect pretty much untouched, where Donman wasn't as involved, you know, compared to as, like, when they went through the middle on counterattacks. Uh, it's very interesting. I don't know what the exact blog name is. Sorry for that, but I'll tweet it out, I guess. Yeah. And, that's, and that's so true. Keen and Higuain and last year Henri were three prime examples that some of the top forwards really get there because of their assists, their ability to share the ball and not just raw scoring ability because that's, that's what's helping them get those big chances created, what's helping them get those assist points. And those, in my mind, are the ones that should rise to the top of your possibilities than just the Bradley Wright Phillipses who all they do is try to score, or the Wandos who kind of poach around, so... Yeah, Obafemi Martins is another name that we haven't discussed yet. Um, uh, the struggle for me is is trying to determine if he's, if he's 2.5 million better than Nagel. Uh, <laughs> and, and as someone who you'd probably want to switch out after his first two games because he has a bye as well. Um, so juggling the Nagel, Dempsey, and uh, Obafemi Martins triangle, uh, figuring out if you want one or two or, or all three of those guys and uh, but Martins, to me, is, is someone who's definitely in the conversation of someone who's able to create as well, and I'm sure he'll find his find himself up on the top of the leaderboard for forwards points come the end of the year as well. Yeah. One guy we haven't mentioned at all is uh, Saburio, Real Salt Lakes guy. 
Mm-hmm. I think he's got. I mean, he had like a really with the injuries and stuff, but I think they're ready to play Salt Lake. So he's only nine million as well. So it's not like in the keen price range, semi-affordable, I'd say. And what about Brown there with your home team? Actually, that's a. I was looking at a on MLSsoft.com at the shots, uh, most shots taken throughout the league. Uh, number one was Robbie Keane, then it was uh, Barnes, and then number three, uh, Deshaun Brown took 131 shots last year. Uh, I mean, God knows how many of them went on target. But, <laughs> I mean, it's a numbers game, right? Yeah. There's quality and quantity. So, come once they get their uh, bye week sorted out, I think Brown could be. I mean, if he lives up to his potential, he's got talent. Just hasn't shown it yet. Yeah, just a lot of rough times for Colorado last year and some questions as well this year. I know they have to overcome, but but yeah, he's he's one definitely to keep an eye on. He's got some good good history to him. Is that it? Have we reached the bottom of the forwards list? No, I don't think that's the bottom. There's plenty of other guys to talk about. Surely not. Uh, I think we should probably throw out there that Kubo's not in uh, Houston right now, correct? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure people are going to be looking for him. Um, and he's still down with the Mexican side. And um, Chicago's had a lot of changes. I know a lot of people had uh, Quincy up top, and he he actually might be getting that start now this first week with uh, Com getting injured. So he could be another value forward. Another one people are talking about is Wanger. Um, he's at 7.5 as well. Uh, he's going to play more of a wing uh, position this year. And apparently he's looked great in preseason. Uh, but with the addition of Arista Guieta to the game at the same price point, uh, I think a lot of attention has been turned off of Wenger, and, and people are going with Arista Guieta instead. I mean, I agree with that. I'd say take Arista Guieta, or botched his name, but I'd say go with him. He's looked target man. They all. He's apparently able to score, finish his, chan- his chances well, so... Compared to Wenger, I'd say he's the guy, especially at the same price. One forward, one forward option that's still in the battle for a, a starting position with the Galaxy is is Jamison. Uh, um, apparently, he's in uh, a battle for the left wing position that you know, Donovan uh, vacated. He's 5.5 million. I'm sure he'll see playing time this year. Uh, whether or not he earns the start is is still yet to be seen, though. But uh, at 5.5 million, if you you want to build a bench, which I don't, but that's someone to look at. Yeah, whoever gets that spot in LA is gonna have huge ownership come week two. I think it's up between Villarreal, uh, McBean maybe in the conversation, and Jamison. So whoever gets that, it's gonna be great price, great value. And, Definitely. So we've got quite a list going right here. So just because it's fun, just like we did with midfielders, one premium guy, each person will go down the line again. Jason. Martins, I guess, if I was going to spend a lot of money on one forward. Keen for me. Keen as well. I mean, known commodity, high-powered offense. Keen. <laughs> There's a... I don't know. It depends, man. Who's hot? It's a streaky position, so you got to go with who's hot. I can't say there's one guy that's guaranteed to kill it. Yeah, to be honest, last year I lost a lot of points trying to play the pick-the-best-forward game. You know, I'd captain Dempsey on the worst possible week, you know. Well, he's not a forward midfielder, but, um, yeah, there's a bunch of times like that where, you know, I just never got it right. So I tend to go cheap with forwards. Definitely a hard question. I'm keen right now myself. I've bounced around between keen, Oba, and Higuain, so I feel the pain. And I would say don't go cheap on forwards. So that wraps up all the picks for those positions. I'm sure we've missed some, so everyone who's listening, feel free to chime in with posts and comments and share your own thoughts. Uh, Right now, though, I'll take some opportunity. Is there any other fantasy element we want to talk about real quick before we get to questions? I know we mentioned the bench, so I'd like to have just quickly you guys each say what your philosophy is about a bench this year with the auto subs and the manual subs option, and then just go from there. For me, no bench is the way to go, and and it seems to be the consensus. Uh, At the beginning of the season, it's all about getting points, uh, and I want to get 
be able to afford the studs so that way I can get as many points as possible. Then after a few weeks, I can uh, have the flexibility to take those points and, and use them as in the form of hits if I want to make some changes, maybe build a deeper bench. But for me, the way to build value is, is to get the guys that have the potential to score double digits each week. Uh, and, and then, you know, if I need to take hits, so be it. But uh, there's no room for, for a bench on Eternal Squad, at least starting off the year. Um, I'm no Eternal, but I think I might carry one bench player. I just think that the flexibility that gives you the ability to not take a hit every now and then um, really adds up quickly. And I think that with a couple cheap defenders, it's possible to pull in a cheap midfielder that you can just throw in in a pinch. I mean, we've all been there on game day when some guys that we were planned on starting is is not there for some reason. And I just like to be able to take advantage now that auto subs are back and be able to have somebody that can that can jump in there and grab me three, four points. I 100% agree. I've got one bench player. I mean, in the past, there were like last preseason, there were a couple of starters that emerged. To have like get their spots, their cheap players in the game, but I think this year it's really, really like nothing besides Hollingshead. I mean, so yeah, one bench player will probably be a fourth defender for me. So just as a backup. Yeah, I have Palmer at six million as my defender on the bench, and playing a three-five-two. Might be my guy as well. Someone get that. I think that was probably Palmer who just called him asking why he was on his bench and and not starting. Because he's going to get one point in week one and drop, <laughs> and drop <laughs> at Galaxy while Keen scores a hat trick. Hey, Palmer's a cool guy. Definitely in, uh, always active on social media, too. So if you guys are on Twitter, I would give him a follow. Definitely. Anything else that you guys want to mention, just general fantasy topics before we jump into questions from the community? Yeah, I think with Bench, for me, it's the fact that it's really hard to predict which value guys are going to pop up. They will pop up. Um, but for me, it's, it's let the game dictate which ones. Let them prove themselves. And then, you know, you're two transfers away from downgrading one of your studs into to two value players. But it's it's very risky to just put Holland's, Hollingshead and Vasquez, or Velasquez in your lineup uh, thinking that you're going to be a hero. Um, and, you know, it might work out, but... Uh, uh, I'd rather go for the sure thing, and then once the value players present themselves, then it's an easy switch to start building a bench with guys you know that will be there. But there's so much not known right now, I just want to get as many points as possible early on. Yeah, especially when you don't have a lot of money to move around. In a, you know, In four or five weeks, we'll hopefully see some growth and be able to make some better decisions. Yeah, Reed, you mentioned the general fantasy question, so I'll just throw this one out there. Form or fixtures? Classic, classic. Very, very classic, yes. Well, you, I'll start it. I, I do my charts on the website, and I always use form. It's it's the least subjective that you can have, but it's also the least accurate at the beginning. They Before you can really start going with form, you have to get a few games under everybody's belt. But I always feel like you should look at form through the lens of what fixtures do you have coming up in the next few games. Because if you're going to be going up against the top in the East, the top in the West, and then last year's champion for your next three, yeah, you might want to hedge your bets there and not just say, that guy's going to get his same production he's been doing all year. It's, it's, it's just a, a tough call. It's a combination for me. I, I think uh, you, have, you don't want to add someone to your team or, or start someone who's had four straight weeks where they scored two points. <laughs> so form needs to play a part of it. But fixtures is also important. I mean, you could follow Shivas last year and, and you know at any position and, and make some good money. They were leaking goals, and, and uh, they gave up clean sheets. <laughs> so uh, They couldn't score goals, uh, especially when Cuba wasn't, wasn't playing. Um, so, so for me, it's a combination of both. Uh, I look at both. Uh, schedule starts to trumpet when you start talking about double game weeks. Um, I'll look at schedule more so than form at those junctures. Um, but you know, they're both important. And this is a good lead-in to, to our first question. Uh, we had someone who asked about home games, because I know a lot of us will stress, get a home player, or we'll be happy to have so many home players when we're setting up our teams, and someone wanted to know what was really the impact of home games. And I did some numbers that I keep for some charts that I have, 
And since 1996, the home team in MLS has won 49% of the time, which I think the last time I looked is one of the highest of any of the American sport leagues. Wow. Um, and so this, of course, um, if you expand the number of times a team got a draw since 1996, it's over 70%. So those are times when you're going to be hitting 0-0, double clean sheets, maybe 1-1, one, one, so sucks for your defense, good for your forwards. But there's lots of times when the home team is coming out of a match with points. So that's, that's good stuff, I think. That's a good indicator for me that a home game is, is appealing. Yeah, uh, Travis did a, an article at the beginning of last year, I think, posted on Dynamo Theory. It did great analysis on the benefit of, of home field advantage. Again, I like to oversimplify, I like to oversimplify things uh, so that way I can process them. But the takeaway I got was it's about one point. You can basically just give someone who has a home field advantage about a one-point uh, lead over, over an away person, uh, specifically at midfield. Uh, we looked at you know all the, the stud midfielders and and then the the clean sheet data like you were saying, uh, Reed, uh, and to me it, it was about one point. So if you're going to quantify it, that's how I would do that. <laughs> Just give yourself one point for every home guy, home field, or person playing at home. Yeah. Um. To give an example. Pedro Morales had uh, out of his uh, ten goals, he had seven at home, three away. Four assists away and eight assists at home. I mean, I was looking at that when I was trying to decide between Kaká and Morales, but that's a huge difference right there. Yeah, and you can get an advantage by looking at which players have you know, the home, home and away splits because there are a few players for whatever reason, be it surface or field dimensions or, or whatever, that uh, they <laughs> or pressure at home, they, they just perform better either away or at, at home, and identifying those players can, can go a long way. Yeah, I think the turf teams, it's uh, you see a bigger difference between home and away performance, generally mm. speaking. So if you look at like a Vancouver that plays on a nice turf, and then when they go away and um, come to the sh- Chicago, for example, where our pitch was horrible last year, um, they they really suffered. And I think when PM played against us, he didn't have hardly any points, uh, if I recall correctly. Um, but another thing is that away teams always tend to play more defensively. So, you know, if you have a lot of offensive attacking players on your team and they're not necessarily stretching out the field as much as they normally would at home when they're playing more of a balanced game, I think you throw that together with, uh, you know, going from turf to going from uh, turf to field, it's, it, really, it really combines and you see a big difference between them. And I forgot to add, our question about bench strategies actually came from the Reddit user Quirtleber. Sorry, I've never known how to say your name. Quarter Pounder, I think is what it is. Quarter Pounder? That's Quarter Pounder. That works for me. I'm awful with those things. And uh, the question about the home games came from Sasquatch. I think he is actually uh, lives in Germany, so cool to get those questions. Uh, next one, what is the best way to prepare for a FIFA fixture window? Where should we look for call-up info? Paul, what do you think about that? Yeah, international call-ups is something that uh, comes across every year, and it's never easy to, to deal with. Uh, I like to look at Reddit for lists of, of the call-ups. The community does a really good job of putting together a list. Uh, a lot of Central American countries, uh, a lot of players uh, will be called up there. This year we have the Gold Cup as well, uh, towards the middle of the year. Um, Hopefully you've you built some team value the first four, five, six weeks that you can actually then go counter to my strategy and, and build a bench or be willing to take some hits. I personally have nothing against hits. I like to take them uh, so that way I can field my best 11 each week. Uh, so I navigate it just like everyone else. Um, but it's not easy. There's, there's no one answer. Um, but definitely be aware of them and look at Reddit. Uh, and MLS Fantasy Boss, and even MLS Soccer uh, starts to put together a list, usually. So that's where I look. Yeah, I always find Google to be good for that, too. Just search for call-ups for the teams that you're worried about. Um, Generally speaking, you'll know who's on your team, kind of figure out who are going to be those national guys, and then you just just basically have to do like Paul said. you got to... Normally somebody puts a nice list on Reddit, somebody at at, uh, MLS puts together a nice list... um, 
and you just kind of piece from there. But as long as you know who the national players are, then you know who to look out for, and you can you can focus on those guys. Planning for it, on the other hand, is uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work trying to figure out who's going to be going, especially with the Gold Cup coming up this year. I, I imagine that's going to be a real interesting time. So the only thing I'll really say on the subject is to plan your wild card. With that in mind, you might need to use it for that, that kind of situation. So our next question came from OCD Shaggy. And he says, Portland players were popular picks last year to start the season, which hurt many fantasy owners early on. Which hype team this year has the best chance to be the next Portland Timbers? Vancouver. 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 What do you think, Richard? You've got some, uh, any thoughts on that? Who's, I guess, in general, what's an overhyped team right now that's going to struggle this season? Oh, it's hard to quantify. Um, me. Obvious answer here is the new time, new teams, Orlando and New York City. But um, I want to say Vancouver, but knock on wood, hope they don't. Um, it really, they, I mean, they play Toronto FC first week, so that's another like big unknown. Toronto FC, like half their lineups, they have new players, spend a lot of money. Nobody really knows what they're gonna, how they're gonna come out day one. So I mean, when I'd say if I had to put a Tag on it. Um, let me say Vancouver for now. Yeah, I think Vancouver is getting a lot of hype, at least from us. I mean, talking to us, I mean, Reed, you said you have four Vancouver players on there. I have four Vancouver players on my team. Um, they're, they were so solid last year. They showed a lot of good things and a lot of improvement and that kind of thing. And they have so many young, great young players on that team that it's hard to see them failing, but you know, they're in the position to be the Portland Timbers, just like, you know, last year when you were looking at the Portland Timbers lineup and you're going, oh, there's so many guys I want from that team and then not really any of them outside of, um, you know, outside of one or two maybe really panned out for the season. Uh, then, like you said, expansion teams are easy, easy flops. Um, Toronto is uh, – that's an annual flop, I think. Uh, a lot of other teams with so many changes. Chicago went out and got three DPs, so you know that could be really good, or it could be typical Chicago DPs, and they don't do anything. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of teams that made a lot of change this year. So there's a lot of teams that are in that position, that that uh, where Portland was really hyped last year. I can see, I can see a lot of fans of different ML teams being really excited about their team this season. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Just I, I browse the SB Nation blogs and I look at all 20 of them. That's a great resource. Just throwing it out there. Um, but just seeing the optimism that all the fans have this year, it really goes to show that um, a lot of a lot of teams that were struggling last year made adequate changes where their fan base is, is pumped up. I'd say San Jose might be the the exception to that rule, and, and maybe even Colorado as well. Um, but uh, the other 18 teams, they, they all seem excited. They're uh, ready to go, and, and they all have playoff aspirations. Excellent. And then uh, the last question we have, uh, we'll let you kick this one off, Jason, since since you haven't gotten to start one yet, and I feel like Scott and I are biased. This comes from at boom underscore soccer on Twitter, and he says, well, his account says, managing with multiple players from the same team. Is this even a good strategy? So basically, I think if you're going to load up on one team, is that good? Too many eggs in one basket? What do you think? Yeah, I think that loading up on one team is very, um, very dangerous. I mean, you have to know what you're doing. You have to know you have good quality players. You don't want it to be, you know, like four expansion team players for sure because you have no idea what you're going to get when they step out on the field. Um, also, another thing that I would throw in and kind of couple with that is being too much of a homer. I know you love your team. I know you love your squad. I know you love the guys on your team, and they're going to be awesome this year. But be careful. You know, I mean, I think every single person that's new picks four guys from their home team and then ends up really paying the price and not really being able to recover until about the middle of the season. So if you're going to go with four guys on one team like me or Reed, just understand you're taking a big risk. Like I know I think me and Reed, Reed understand that. And I feel like I want to say I've I've picked Vancouver because I, I like the lineup opening home to Toronto. I think is a good game away to Chicago and Orlando. The Orlando's a new team, so I think that's a good for them. Chicago could be a little difficult just with some of that good defense I've seen, but I I think it's a better away game than some other options. 
Then they go back home for Portland, another home game for L.A., and then a double game week. And so I, I feel like those first six rounds that they're going to be going through, something I like. And so I feel they have some quality players that I want to try to take that risk. Yeah, I like that too. Great players, great schedule. The only thing I don't like about it is the schedule. I mean, the travel. I should Not the schedule, the travel. There's a huge amount of travel in there. Yeah, I mean, I'd say just pick the players who you think are going to score the most points at the end of the day, right? But I think I'm personally, I'm avoiding doubling up. I can't put a finger on why. But, I mean, it's literally, it's uh, between having Kaká and Molino or even Kaká and Rochez in uh, Orlando City or between Keen and Ishizaki, uh, Nagel and Martins. I mean, I tried to pick one of all those duos and avoid doubling up just because, I mean, MLS, just the way it's, MLS is set up, there's a huge amount of change and turnover each year. So I'll start off evenly and then, but through, as the season goes on, I guarantee you I'll have four of one team even as soon as probably come game week five or so. As, long, yeah. as soon as you know more about how the teams work together, you know. Yeah, I think you have to pick your moments, right? I mean, double game weeks, and, you know, it's no longer about having two. It's about having four. So you look at the schedule, and a lot of you guys are doubling and tripling up on Vancouver. Well, they also happen to be uh, one of the two teams that has the very first bye week of the year, or excuse me, double game week of the year uh, in week six. So, I mean, you're preparing for that as well I, I, when you decide to, to carry that many players, and I'm sure you guys factored that in as well. So some good questions. Thank you very much, everyone who submitted something. Uh, keep doing it for future episodes, and we'll try to cover as much as we can. Uh, the other fun thing I want to do, like last week, mention some fun team names I saw. The ones that jumped out to me this week, we have Bendik like Akum FC from player Xbox S. I thought that was pretty clever. And then I loved... Screaming Bagels. I just have this anthropomorphic image in my head of this attack of Killer Tomatoes-esque loaded bagel running down the hallway in my office just screaming at me. And I, That was from, from Mark Dancer, and I, I just love that image. And then finally from Alex Kokot, it was Game Oba, which I think works best with the Arnold Schwarzenegger accent thrown in there, but Game Oba. I liked it. The r slash fantasy MLS league is nearing 800 members now, so that means we will be eligible for a prize from MLS for not necessarily the top place person, but the top finishing eligible person for that. Last year, I think it was a $200 gift card, so if you have not joined, go ahead and sign up for that. Get a chance to win those things, and like last year, I will try to provide some prizes as well, uh, scarves and a base set of tops MLS cards last year so do that join up and have some fun with all of us so before we wrap up I just want to point out that the negotiations are still going on between the players and MLS and I know we're all excited about the season starting we're all ready to see that go but uh, I think I think fans need to step up and support their players let MLS really know that uh, that our our guys our team our players the guys we love they deserve to earn living wages too so uh, make sure you reach out try to support the players in some way Definitely, yeah. And with hope, we'll have a season to go. If not, then don't complain because these guys deserve everything they're asking for. All right, well, that was fun. I hope everyone who listened to this podcast found it helpful. And thank you so much to everyone who joined to share their ideas and reveal their strategies to, to the general public. Just another reminder, follow us on iTunes. I think Simon's working on a stitcher for those who, who have messaged us about that. But we are on iTunes. Be sure to follow that and rate us so that it's easier for other people to find us. You might see two Fantasy MLS Insider podcasts right now. We're the one with the black and maroon logo. So just a little bit of a transition here. And as multiple people have said, keep going to r slash fantasy MLS at Reddit. There'll be a link in this post. It's a great resource, a great community. Host your teams, get some feedback. It's it's a great great group. Uh, we already mentioned it once, but the R slash Fantasy MLS League. To join that, the league code is four dash three zero two. If you'd rather play the head to head league, that code is four dash three zero four. And of course, the MLS Fantasy Boss League code is four dash three zero one. 
So thank you again, everyone who has come. Do you guys have anything you want to plug before we close out? The 101 podcast. Yes. If uh, Keep up for a soon-to-come update. We're going to do a Fantasy Questions 101 for all the new players that are just getting into this great game, trying to, to learn it. Or if you're coming over from FPL and you're thinking, what is up with this crazy bonus system? What What's going on? That's the podcast you're going to want to listen to where we'll break it down. Scott has come up with a lot of great questions that I think will be very helpful. So yeah, tune in for that. Should post within a day or so, I hope, of this one.